Good evening, brothers and sisters. Can you please uh, open up your Bibles with me to the book of Second Timothy? Second Timothy, chapter one. Second Timothy, chapter one, verse 14. This will be our theme verse. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Second Timothy, chapter one, verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And if you remember today, we are going to be talking about the book of Mark. So if you would please turn to Mark chapter 10. Actually, yes, chapter 10, verse 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then if you turn forward in the book of Mark to chapter, let's go to chapter two. We're going to start. With verse two. Actually, we'll start the second half of verse one. And it was heard that he, the Lord Jesus, was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men and being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. If we could drop down to verse 10. But in order that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet and go home. Mark chapter six, I'm sorry, chapter five. Verse thirty five. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has already died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official and he beheld a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing and entering in. He said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was and taking the child by the hand. He said to her, Talitha Kum, which translates means little girl. I say to you, arise. Let's have one more word of prayer. Lord, we thank you this evening that we have the chance to gather together. Lord, we thank you because we know that, again, you are here with us. And Lord, we want to tell you what an honor it is to be able to bow before the living God. So, Lord, I pray that this day, as we share on your word, that you would speak to us. Thank you, Lord, in our lives when we look back. There were so many times when you came to serve us, when we were in trouble, when we were fallen, when we did not know where we were going, Lord, you came to where we were and you picked us up and you helped us along the way. Lord, you served us. Lord, we always wonder how can the king of heaven serve another? 
But Lord, this is who you are. This is who you have been your whole through all eternity. And to us, Lord, we thank you. You have taught us how to serve because you serve everyone around you. So, Lord, we worship you and we give you praise this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, brothers and sisters at my home, my boys like to dig in the dirt. And um, you uh, may remember when you were little, you might have gone outside and dug in the dirt. Well, one day I came home from work. You know, in my house, we have the nice cups and the digging cups. And uh, usually my wife knows that the nice cups are for, say, in his example, if one of you came to my house. Um, and if any of you ever come to Los Angeles and need a place to go, come to my house. I will give you a nice cup. You come in. There are the nice cups in the cupboard, and they're all closed up. And then there are the digging cups. So I came home one day, and I parked my car from work, and I walked in. And there on the side of the front porch was one of the nice cups sitting there. And as I walked closer, I looked into the nice cup and looked inside, and it was filled with dirt. And looked at it, I thought, okay. And I picked it up. And I looked in there, and my, my boys had tried to plant trees in the nice cup. So I said, okay. So I went into the house, and I, you know, I looked at the cup, and it was really filthy. And, but my wife said, you know, leave it outside, because they love this cup. So I left it outside, and it got left out there for weeks. Now, brothers and sisters, at the end of the weeks, it was no longer one of the nice cups. I mean, if you came to my house... And I, I had you sit down, and I brought this cup out to you, and I had poured some water on the top, maybe one of those little seeds had grown into a little tree. And I brought you this cup with the water in it and the mud, and I put it down on your, you know, I got a little plate setting so I wouldn't damage my wooden uh, little uh, table there, and I put the cup on top of the little place setting. And, and let's say you didn't know me very well. You would look at that cup, and I don't know what you would say. It's kind of gross. Now, brothers and sisters, what if I did this? What if I took the cup before you came to my house and I really washed it really clean on the outside? So I took this cup and I made it all perfect so that if you put it back up and you just look through the glass of my little bookcase, it would look just as nice as the rest. But still, if I took it down and looked inside, there might be those little seeds or what they thought were seeds and dirt and you still couldn't use it right the cup would still be gross not usable cleaning the outside of this cup would not allow me to make it a usable cup the cup was made to hold water or coke or wine and uh this cup, that serves its purpose. It wasn't made to hold a bunch of dirt and some things that my sons thought were seeds, but were actually little who knows what. And they were, that's not what its purpose was. The purpose of the cup is so that you could hold something and it could be used to uh, drink and uh, wine or celebrate something. That's its purpose. And no matter how much you clean the outside of that cup, it's no longer a cup. It's a pot, sort of. Brothers and sisters, there were a group of people uh, who lived during the uh, time of the Lord Jesus. Now, they were an interesting group of people. You see, in Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible tells us that for quite a long time, the Lord spoke to us through prophets. Prophets told us what the Lord wanted us to hear. But in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, but in these days, he has spoken to us in his son. It's different. The way he used to speak to us through prophets was no longer true. Today, he speaks to us in his son. It's very different. Now, through all of time, the prophets had said many things. And someone scribbled all these things down. And it became a book of law. And these people... Their names were the Pharisees. They took all of the things that the prophets had said 
And they memorized them. All the rules. They had everything. They had a whole book of rules. And they did everything. And if, in order to be a Pharisee, you had to do everything in this book right. That's why the Bible says they could be blameless according to the law. What that means is, here's their book. On page one it says, do not make fun of the speaker on Sunday. Well, I didn't make fun of the speaker on Sunday. Next page. Do not do this. And the whole book was filled with do nots. And when they memorized that book, of all of what the prophets had said, they thought, you know, I'm done. I'm perfect. In fact, God is lucky to have me. And they spoke as if they were speaking for God. Now, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus came and he was the opposite. He had the king's nature in his heart. But when you looked at him from the outside, he may not have struck you as anything. We mentioned it yesterday. If he came to your high school or your junior high, he may not have been one of the cool people. In fact, you may not have even noticed him on the outside. But it was in his heart. There was the nature of God. And he was the opposite of these Pharisees. And he came to them one day and he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you clean the outside of the cup, but you don't clean the inside of the cup. And so that story that I mentioned to you earlier, it was directed to the Pharisees because all they cared about was the outside. They cared that you looked so good doing all of these rules, but inside there was nothing. And that cup could no longer be used for the purpose for which it was created. Do you know that cup represents a person? And do you know that each of you was created for a purpose? And that purpose was that within you there would be a life. But what they were saying was, just so long as you look good on the outside, the inside, it doesn't matter. The Lord said something else to them. He said, you guys are like a whole bunch of whitewashed tombs. Do you know what a whitewashed tomb is? It's basically a coffin and they make the coffin on the outside look so clean. You know, they got a lot of Windex and they wipe down the coffin so it's nice and sparkly. But inside of the coffin, it was just a bunch of dead bones. There was no life in a coffin. Why was the Lord so harsh on this group of people? I mean, they memorized all the, the words of the prophets. They memorized the law. They tried their best to do everything right. The Bible even tells us the Lord said, when you hear them speak, you should listen to what they say. But don't follow what they do. This is the uh, first uh, verse in Matthew chapter 23. He said, what they say is good, but what they do is bad. Why was the Lord so harsh on these people? You know, of all the people, he was nice to the kids and he was nice to so many people. To this group of people, he was particularly pointed in saying, you are wicked. Why? Because these guys supposedly represented God. And the Lord Jesus came because how could these guys represent God? They represented what they, to the people what they thought God was like. And all God cared about was how you looked on the outside. If you said all of your prayers in the right order, if you wore your clothes in the right way, if you came to church on time and all of these other things that were outside things, the Lord was so harsh on them because he could not allow for them to represent his father because they had they were nothing like his father. Brothers and sisters. So what did the, the Lord God, the father have to do? The Bible tells us in a parable that there was a vineyard and the owner of the vineyard sent messenger after messenger and no one would listen. So finally, the owner of the vineyard said, I will send my son. They'll listen to my son. But what did the people who had taken care of the vineyard do? They killed the son. He sent his son to us because he had to show us who he was. 
And he wasn't what these Pharisees were showing. This cup on the on our ledge that looks so nice on the outside when you pull it down, it's filled with dirt, filled with death. He had to send his son because he wanted for all of you and for me to know who he is. And so yesterday, brothers and sisters, we said from our theme verse, let's read it again. Second Timothy, chapter one. Verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And so what did the Lord entrust to us? Who is this treasure? Brothers and sisters, we mentioned yesterday that there's no one in all of the heavens and all of the earth who has no more value than the single only begotten son of God. Remember yesterday we mentioned, how do we measure his value? We measure his value based on what you could buy with him. And we thought about ourselves and all the sins that we have sinned. And how each sin that we sinned, the payment was death. And then we thought, well, there are about 120 of us in this room. How many sins have we sinned together as a group? I think a lot. And every sin, the payment was death. And then we thought, well, how many people are on this campus for the conference? Twelve hundred people. How many sins have we all sinned? And all the students at PLU and all the people who are here uh, in Seattle and all the people in Washington State and in on the West Coast and in the United States and then throughout all of time, all the sins that have been sinned. And remember on that great day when the Lord hung, hung on the cross for us, there had to be a balance This is what is owed these many deaths for all of these people through all time. And if this man's death is going to pay for all of these, the balance scale, when he put them on, must tip towards the preciousness of the son of God. And brothers and sisters, you know, at the end of the day. Praise the Lord. It was enough. That one life that was given for all the other lives lived. Through all time, the preciousness of this one man was enough to pay for all of our sins. So what is this treasure? Brothers and sisters, to you and to me, when we accepted the Lord, he put in our hearts a little life of Christ. Do you know in you and me, there is a little life of Christ. This this life that is so precious has no measurable worth. It's just immeasurable. A little bit of that is in each of us. Brothers and sisters, what has been entrusted to you? The living God lives in your heart and he lives in mine. And so our job, this conference, has been to discuss this one question. The treasure which has been entrusted to you. Who is he? He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has been entrusted to you. And yesterday... We discussed, well, you know, we're going to look at the Lord Jesus in four ways through the four Gospels. In Matthew, we see him as the king. In Mark, he's the servant. In Luke, he is the man who suffered. And in John, he is the son of God who came down with a purpose. And yesterday we discussed that he was the king of kings. But, you know, to human eyes, they didn't recognize him. We shared about Matthew chapter 27. And in Matthew chapter 27, they mentioned the king of the Jews four times. And if you just hear the story, you think, wow, how glorious. The first time a governor says you are the king of the Jews. The second time a group of soldiers, they worship, they bow before him and say, you are the king of the Jews. The third time, it's like the seal of the president of the United States. Now, if I were the president and I were speaking on the front here, would be a little circle with the uh, American eagle holding two things. And it'll read the seal of the president of the United States. So people would know that the speaker was the president of the United States. Well, the Lord Jesus was given a seal. And on the seal, it read the king of the Jews. Isn't that glorious? And finally, the people, the citizens called him. The king of the Jews. Four times king is mentioned. 
And you would think that this is a glorious chapter because all the people thought the king is going to save us. This is the one that we have been waiting for. He's going to free us from the Romans. He's going to come in and pardon the expression, but he's going to kick their bottoms and we are going to have our country back. But brothers and sisters, what they saw in this man was just the opposite. When Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He was in chains and he was guarded by a bunch of uh, a bunch of guards. He was captured weak, the opposite of what a king should be. And then when the soldiers, they bowed down to say, hail, king of the Jews, what was actually happening? They had taken a crown of thorns. They had taken a, cl a cluster of thorns and weaved it into a crown and they had put it down on his head. They had taken a reed and given it to him and made him hold it. They had taken some rags, purple rags, and put them on him so that it looked like royal clothes. And they bowed before him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him. Brothers and sisters, it was the opposite of what a worldly, you would expect from a worldly king. And then that placard, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus was hung on the cross. And they nailed his hands into the wood. And they nailed his legs into the wood. And the people would come by and think, what a waste of a man. Look at all those great things he did. And we all believed in him. And now look at him. He hangs on the cross. You are not the king of the Jews. Even though above him was a placard that read, the king of the Jews in three languages. So no matter where you came from, you could read it. But it was written in mockery of him. And finally, the people said, if he's the king of the Jews, why doesn't he just come down? And if he would come down, we would all believe in him. Why, brothers and sisters? Because the king of heaven, our king, he is not the king of the world. Because he's not just caring about the outside of the cup. His nobility was in his heart. It is who he was. He was the king of heaven. But all of us with human eyes, when we look at him, we disdain him. He has no earthly value. Nothing, that we would, nothing for which we would esteem him. We look at him and mankind all said, what a waste. And they spit upon him. Brothers and sisters, you know what Paul said before he died? He said, reserved for me in heaven is a crown of righteousness. You know, what's so wonderful is that the Lord Jesus wore a crown of thorns so that we could have a crown of glory with him. This reed that he held, they stole the reed from him. And what does the Bible tell us? They beat him on the head with it. This is shameful, brothers and sisters. And you know what, brothers and sisters? Today, he's a shepherd to us. And he leads us in the way we should go. And he loves us. You know, brothers and sisters, the robe, rags, the Bible tells us we have, we are clothed in righteousness now. And I am a sinner. And if you all knew me, you would know that I am not exaggerating. I am a sinner. But when I stand before the Lord one day and he looks on me, he's going to look and say, your clothes are perfect. I could tell him, you know, Lord, they are mine. The Lord Jesus gave me some clothes that are righteous and clean. And so here I stand, my father, and I'm clothed in his righteousness, clean to the core, because that day on that cross, he took all of my sins. Brothers and sisters, when we talk about who has been entrusted to you, it is so important that you know him. Because if you just know this book of rules that the Pharisees learned and you perfect it, you do everything right your whole life, all you will become is a Pharisee. And you know what Pharisees do for a living? They look at other people and say, you're not good. You're not good. You can't do this. You can't do that. I can do this. And so I am better than you. And all Pharisees do is they tear down other people. Brothers and sisters, in the house of God, this is not the life of God. 
In the house of God, we build each other up. And why are we able to do that? It's when you know who has been entrusted to you. This book was just a rule for living a lifestyle. The book of lifestyles. But the Lord Jesus wants for you to know life and live life. He wants for you to know him as your savior. He wants for you to know when you are scared that he is there. It is not simply that you can act better tomorrow. It is not simply that tomorrow will be a better day because you will learn a lesson from the mistake that you made today. That is not his intention. His intention is tomorrow will be a better day because I will be there with you. Now, brothers and sisters, this is so on my heart. If you would please listen. You guys are so young. You have your whole life ahead of you. What is the one thing that will preserve you for our Lord? What is the one thing that will make you everything that he wants for you to be? And that one thing is if you know this life, you know who has been entrusted to you. It is not what the Pharisees thought. It is not this book of rules. You know why I know this? Is because for many years of my life, I learned this book. I learned it so well. I knew all the rules. I knew how to behave. And the problem with it is, every time I looked at someone up, I'd, else I'd size them up. I'd see, are they a good Christian? Based on this book of laws. And you know what? When someone is like that, they cannot help anybody else. I could not help anyone. All I could do was find fault in other people. But when these rules are put on a man and you see, oh, that's what it means to love someone else. He's really love. Then you see what real life is all about. Living with the Lord. And you know what? If you just have this one variable that you know the living God, you will grow and you will grow so well and you will grow so healthy. And on that last day when the Lord sees you, he's going to say, you know what? You look just like me. You spent 50 years walking with me and I knew you every day and I molded you into what I wanted, who I wanted you to be. Brothers and sisters, the one variable who has been entrusted to you. So, brothers and sisters, today we are going to look at another aspect of your Lord and mine. And this one, brothers and sisters, blows me away. Mark chapter 10. We're going to read it again. Mark chapter 10. Verse 45. Maybe we'll start in verse 42. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And if you would pay attention to that first part of verse 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, in this verse, brothers and sisters, is a purpose. It shows us the purpose of the Lord's life. He came to serve. That's in his nature. And we know that the Lord who walked on the earth 2000 years ago, he's the same Lord who lives today. He still lives and he still speaks. And he is the same Lord and how he served other people back then. He is still serving people today. How do I know? Have any of you ever fallen bad? Maybe the junior high brothers and sisters in here may not have gone through a situation where you just did something so boneheaded that, oh my, you thought, how could I ever be forgiven for this? But I know that the senior high schoolers and I know that the older ones of us have fallen bad in our lives. 
each of us. Do you remember when they brought that woman to the Lord? And they said, you know, this woman, the Pharisees, was caught in the act of adultery. And they held stones to kill her. And the Lord said, he who is without sin can throw the first stone. And one by one, they all left from the oldest to the youngest. Why? You know, the older we are, the more we've sinned. I'm pretty sure. Well, I think Scott may be older than I am. But I'm sure those of us in our 30s have sinned well more than some of you guys in your teens. And sometimes you might look at older brothers and sisters and think, well, they must have it together. Brothers and sisters, the more time you live, the more more times we've sinned. I am a sinner in my nature, but I am so thankful to the Lord. He has forgiven me every sin and every last one. Brothers and sisters, have any of you ever fallen bad? Have you ever been served? How might we have been served by the Lord? Well, I can tell you that there are many times that I have fallen. And in my shame, I have prayed, Lord, forgive me for what I just did. And you know what happens? The Lord comes and he lifts me up. That is servanthood, brothers and sisters. Do you remember in uh, The Lord of the Rings? I don't remember much of the movie of the third one, but I will never forget when Samwise Ganges, at the end when Frodo has no strength to go on anymore, and Samwise can't pick up the ring because he's going to get, I don't know, turned into Gollum or, you know, not nice anymore. And he says to Frodo, I can't lift the ring but I know I can lift you. And so he picks up Frodo. It's servanthood. Now, how many times have I fallen? And how many times has my Lord come to lift me up? If I have fallen however many times, the Lord has been there how many times? And that is why I'm able to share. Brothers and sisters, who the Lord was back then is still who he is today. He's a servant. And you know I will tell you a secret He lives to serve you. Now, what kind of a king lives to serve someone else? He loves it. If you call out to him, he loves it. You know, in the world, it's the opposite. Can you imagine a court jester or a servant in the house of God? In the house of God. A servant in the house of the king. He needs his shoelace tied. And says, hey, king... Can you come and tie my shoelace for me? Do you know what will happen to this guy? The guillotine. You know, I mean, he's not going to. You don't do that. But brothers and sisters, it is different for us. Our king is a king of glory. Do not ever forget it. But in his glory, he lives to serve his people because he loves us. And so in his very life is the nature of being a servant. And so, brothers and sisters, what has been entrusted to you? What has been entrusted to me? The life of the Son of God entrusted in my heart. And that life, it serves. It just does. You know, if you plant an orange seed, let's say you plant it in this little cup that we have. And you plant the orange seed in the cup. What will grow out of it? An orange tree. Until the cup is too small, you put it in a bigger pot. And it'll grow into an orange tree, and the fruit that comes out of it is an orange. And you can't plant an orange tree and have growing out of it a pineapple. It's not going to happen, because the life in that tree will produce the fruit. Brothers and sisters, do you know in your heart and mind, There's been planted a seed, and that seed is the life of the Son of God. And so his nature, it will come out. Now, servanthood, brothers and sisters, is contagious. How do I describe this? How do we learn how to serve each other? 
What is the only way? Why are we reading the book of Mark? The book of Mark is filled with stories of the Lord serving other people. Who are these people? They were lepers. They were paralyzed. They were blind. They were mute. They couldn't hear. These are the, the, the worthless people. You know, when they saw the king coming, they thought, you know, kings should hang out with other kingly type people like me or someone else who looked really good. I don't look very good. But back then, maybe someone would have thought that. But the Lord didn't do that. Who did he come to serve? He came to these people who couldn't walk. And, you know, when you can't walk, you know what? Have you ever I work in a hospital Do you know when people can't walk? You know people have to help them to go to the bathroom. They are foul-smelling. They are wretched. No one wants to hang out with them. These people couldn't walk. No one wanted to be around them. What about lepers? You know, the place that I work at USC, we have a big leprosy clinic. And we take care of people with leprosy. You know, leprosy is a contagious disease. And back then, they had no antibiotics. And so if you got leprosy, you were in big trouble. So they had to wear rags that looked a particular way so that everyone could recognize them from far away. And they were required to yell so people would know that they were lepers. So you wouldn't catch it from them. And so they would keep away. But you know, the Lord did the opposite. He heard the leper calling, leper calling. He'd go right up to them. It was the opposite. I don't know how the disciples felt. You know, I mean, it was just, he was different. How can we learn to serve? You know, there's only one way. And that's what we're going to share about today. You have to be served. When the Lord serves you in your regular life, you will be changed. And you will remember how it feels for someone to come lift you up. And then when your good friend falls, you will be there to lift them up because you were served. Now, brothers and sisters, you can't learn this from a book. You can't learn it from practicing. But when the Lord helps you just that one time, you will not forget it. Particularly when you really fell. You won't forget. How do we learn how to serve? It is the entrusting of that life in your heart. That life serves. And when that life, when that life has taken care of you, all of a sudden it's contagious. You know, I went to, uh, years ago I went to stay with a friend of mine. And when my wife and I got to their house, we went up to where we were staying and folded on the bed were towels and toothbrushes and bars of soap, one for her, one for me. We were already married, but I guess they thought we needed two bars of soap. There were toys for my boys sitting on the bed. And I thought, wow, this is really wonderful. And you know what happened when we went home? My wife said, you know, anytime anyone comes to our house now, we're going to do the same thing because it made us feel lifted up. Brothers and sisters, we are talking about real life. And each of you has a a life in you that serves. And this is contagious. When we see someone else do it, it will grow in us. And when someone else takes care of you, you will take care of someone else. In the house of God, this little life will grow. And it will grow and grow and grow. Brothers and sisters, I will tell you something. The enemy will not stand for it. We think of spiritual warfare sometimes as these great grand things. He will not even allow you to serve one another because it's contagious. And you know what will happen if all of us start serving with the life of God? There will be a testimony that the whole world will notice if we let that life entrusted in our heart grow. So, brothers and sisters, it is a life of service that was given to you 
granted to you. Now, we're going to look in the book of Mark together at uh, three stories. What did the Lord do when he would help people? Well, it's the same thing as I was telling you that he helped how he helped me. He lifted me up. And for some of you brothers and sisters who are from Alhambra, I have to apologize. I gave a little something similar to this in Alhambra because it spoke to me. He. um, The Lord, many times in the book of Mark, he made the lame to stand. Those who couldn't couldn't stand up. He gave them strength to stand. You know, the story that first popped out to me was the story of the, the little girl, Talitha Kum. Now, Talitha Kum, we translate it, means little girl, I say to you, arise. But really, that little girl is a term of endearment. You know, when I see some of the little girls uh, in the conference, you know, you might say, you know, I have little boys now, so I don't call my boys sweetheart. But, you know, I told my wife I always wanted a little girl so I could call someone sweetheart or sweetie or Something like that. You know, I'm worried if I call my boys that, it'll kind of give them a problem. My wife hates it when I read. But so the little girls come to me and say, hi, sweetie, how are you? You know, where's your dad? You know, say hi to your dad for me. And, and um, it's a term of endearment. Well, this little word, Talitha, was a term of endearment. And, um, you know, the thought of losing your child is really devastating. And so her parents were, of course, devastated. They were weeping, and she was dead. And she was, everyone, and she's dead. And they came to her, uh, them and said, you know, don't bother coming back. Uh, you know, the girl's dead. And the Lord said, no, she's just asleep. And they all laughed at him. And he went in with the mother and father of the baby, of the 12-year-old girl, and um, a couple of his disciples. And he said, Talitha Kum. And you know what she did? Now, I'm telling you that in that mother and father in their whole life, I promise you, up to that day, they had never experienced the same joy as when their little girl sat up. And they just, I don't know what they did. I mean, I would have gone crazy. I mean, it was just life out of death. It's so real. You know, they were crushed and all of a sudden they lifted up. Brothers and sisters, when the Lord serves us, it is real life. It is where we've fallen. It is the most difficult things in our life. And he gives us joy. He raises us up. And so this is one example, but there are other ones. Um, and we're going to start with uh, the one about the paralyzed man who's brought in by his friends. This is in chapter two. And there's a lesson here to learn. So here's the story. Picture it. But says, I don't know what the Lord's home looked like, but I'm pretty sure it does not look like this humongous room with this separating wall here. He lived in a house and he was in in this house and um, he was teaching and it was packed full. I probably I mean, if I were there, I would have wanted to listen to him. If you heard him speak, you would have loved listening to him. So they all packed in and there was no room. And four friends, I guess they must have heard that he was there. They had a friend who was paralyzed and he was just sleeping from place to place. He had no home. And just place to place. And so they, I don't know who brought it up. Maybe the guy said, do you know the Lord Jesus is in town? Can you bring me over to him? Or maybe they said, hey, you know the Lord Jesus is in town. Can we bring you over there? I don't know what happened. But these guys brought this guy on, on a, I don't know how they did it. They brought him to the house and they couldn't get in. It was standing room only. And they, there's no way they could get through. And so what did they do? You know what they did? They climbed onto the roof. Now, these roofs were not like our roofs where you have a contractor come and measure how much weight he can support. They climbed onto the roof. Now, this is how weak it was. They cut a hole in the roof. You know, I don't think they had chainsaws. And they cut a hole in the roof. And then what they did is they lowered the guy down to the Lord Jesus. You know what? These friends, they're good friends. And they lowered him down. And the Lord saw this faith and the Lord said, your sins are forgiven. And oh, the Pharisees, the scribes, they couldn't handle it. So then they said, OK, OK, OK. Rise up. Take up your bed. Go home. 
Mordecai stood up. Now, brothers and sisters, it's a miracle. And he stood up and he was served. The Lord lifted him up. His whole, his whole hope was that one day he could stand. And this man fulfilled all of his hope. And then he gave him an instruction. What was that instruction? Go to California and tell the gospel. He didn't say that. He said, go home. Now, what's so special about that? Brothers and sisters, you know, when we think about standing, oftentimes the verse that we think of is Ephesians chapter 6. Stand in the armor of God. Stand as a warrior for God. Do you remember King David when he went to fight against Goliath? Saul said, you can't go out there looking the way you do. You've got no armor. You're a little pipsqueak. You're not going to go out and fight that guy with 12 fingers. You know, you only have 10 fingers. And you're a little guy. At least let me give you your, my armor. So Saul put his armor on David. And I always, this is my favorite image. I don't know what he looked like. And he was short. Saul was tall. I don't know if he just, you know, like R2-D2. He was just covered by armor. And he could not move. You know, brothers and sisters, in order to serve, you don't need to stand like a warrior. If you did, almost all of us wouldn't be able to serve. Maybe some of us would. But you know, you don't need to stand like that to be able to serve. You know, my son, Matthew, now you all may, may or may not know this, but when a speaker prepares a message for an audience, um, and this you should think of every time on Sunday when the speaker speaks, you know, they really go to their knees before the Lord. And I have to tell you that I was really not, I was really having a hard time with some of these messages. And you know, one day, my son, who's seven, who could not fight off a little pug or a little beagle, and he's so little, he's not a warrior. You know, he came up to me, you know, he said, Daddy, he said, you know, I prayed for you. And I have to tell you something, brothers and sisters. My seven-year-old son, he served me that day. And I'm telling you, no matter how old you are, you can serve. Why? If you have accepted the Lord, in your heart is the life of God. And that life serves. And you don't need to be a spiritual giant. You don't need to have memorized the Bible. If you have that life of God in you, serve. My son came up to me, and you know, when he told me that, I knew that I could come and give this message to you. It's real life, brothers and sisters. So this guy, this paralyzed guy, I don't know how much he knew the Lord. I don't know how long he had, you know, even heard of the Lord. He just got raised up. I think by that time he was probably a believer. And he got raised up and the Lord said, go home. Why? Brothers and sisters, you can serve in your home. All of you who are in high school and junior high, I think you probably still live at home. When you live at home, who are the people you live with? You know, your bratty sister, your brother who always shoots spitballs at you. Your mom and dad who are always telling you what to do. But brothers and sisters, you can serve them at home in a very real way. And I promise you this. You might think, can I ever be a blessing to my parents? When my son came to me, and he is way younger than any of you, he was a blessing to me. And I bet you, if you, after you go home at this conference... You let this little light shine at home. Your parents will think, what a blessing my kids are to me. You know, I one time told my wife, 
you know, I think my son is a better person than I am. I mean, my son is such a blessing to me. And to you guys, if you think that you have no way of helping your parents or serving your parents or being a blessing to them or lifting them up higher to the Lord, you would be surprised. So long as you let that little life entrusted to you shine, you will be a blessing to them. It does not matter your age. So, brothers and sisters, that was the first story. The second story, um, we have to go to the book of Acts. Now, what are the great, great servants of God? You know, I think most of us, if you ask us, knee-jerk reaction, greatest servant of God, most of us will probably say Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. In fact, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. That means he was a really good Pharisee. And he followed this rule book blamelessly. He had no problems with this book. I, I shouldn't keep picking up the Bible. It, it's not the Bible. This, this book that they made up of all these rules. And um, oh, he was a great man on the outside. One day he was on the road to Damascus. Do you all remember what happened to him on that road? He, he had gotten a letter giving him permission to find every Christian and put him in jail, he could probably kill him. So he was going and everyone knew he was coming. They were scared of him. And along the way, something happened. A light shone down from heaven and he went down on his knees and he saw the Lord. And when he, the light was over, he couldn't see a thing. And all of a sudden, his whole life, he was always leading the way. This is how we're going to go. These, these are our enemies. This is the future for the Pharisees. And all of a sudden, he couldn't see a thing. He was helpless. And the other people had to lead him to the city. And they went to this little house. The street was called Straight Street. And he just sat there and he prayed. Now, at the same time, in another part of the city, there was a man named Ananias. Ananias loved God. And he had a relationship with God. And the Lord told him, go to that house on Straight Street. Find Saul. And he said, Saul, isn't he here to kill me? That's all. Go. And so he went and he went to him. And the first words that he said, brother Saul. I think it melted Saul's heart. Now, in Acts chapter nine, it tells a story. Matter of fact, this is what happens. But what's so wonderful and is in Acts chapter 22. Paul tells a story. He tells a story from what he remembers and he adds a little thing to it. Let's turn to it. Acts Chapter 22. Maybe we should start with chapter 9 so you get, uh, get the gist. Acts chapter 9. We'll start um, in verse uh, 8. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, behold, here I am. Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon thy name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. 
And Ananias departed and entered the house and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Brother Saul, is that not wonderful? Acts 22. Now Paul is telling his defense and he tells everything. If you would skip down to verse 12. Now, remember, he can't see. So everything he's telling you, just imagine darkness. He cannot see. He says, in a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near to me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. He said, he couldn't just think about it. He couldn't see anything. And he just heard these footsteps come up. And he said, he came right next to me. And he stood next to me. Now, brothers and sisters, this standing, Saul had been praying and he was lifted up by a man who came and stood next to him. What does this tell us? Ananias had been lifted up. And because Ananias had been lifted up, he was able to lift up others. Ananias stood next to Paul when he was down at his lowest point and he came and stood right next to him and he lifted him up. Brothers and sisters, what does this tell us? You all can be Ananias if that entrusted life in you can grow. Watch out for each other. You know, I, I often ask the young people this question. I think if you've come to any conference before where I've spoken, I always ask, you know, who, is, who are the group in the conference that are so targeted by the enemy? And everyone always says, you know, the speakers. And that might be true. But you know how much the enemy has targeted the young people. He wants for you guys to never know the living God. Maybe learn the Bible or learn how to do, be a good person, but he doesn't want you to know a living God. So targeted. And brothers and sisters, when you leave here, you're going to go back to school and you will still be targeted. That's why yesterday morning I told you all, make friends this conference with someone that you don't know and write emails to each other. How are you doing, brother? How are you doing, sister? Can I pray for you? Send emails out of the blue that morning while you're praying. If someone puts into your thoughts to write a letter to Ben, write a letter to Ben and say, Ben, how are you doing? And you know what? It may just be that he needed that letter at that moment. And the Lord called Ananias to send the letter to I mean, email you're far away. But in the spirit, you come and stand next to your brother. Brothers and sisters, we have a life of service that has been entrusted to us. We should serve one another. Finally, brothers and sisters, thankfully, Brother Christian Chen is speaking tonight, so I know I can go till nine. Finally, brothers and sisters. Oh, this is on tape. I should be careful what I say. Um, finally, the last bit of standing. Can you turn to the book of Nehemiah? Nehemiah chapter 3. This is a wonderful story. The Israelites had been kicked out of Israel and they had been sent far away. And the temple was torn down. And word came back to the Israelites that the temple had been torn down. So a group of them decided we are going to get permission and we're going to go back and we are going to rebuild the house of God. And so they came back from far away, not a lot of them, and they began to build. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. Verse uh, chapter three, verse one. I could read for a long time, actually, in this chapter. Then Eliashib, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it 
and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Now the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Merimah, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, made repairs. And next to him, Meshuthalam, the son of Berechiah, the, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs. And next to him, and it goes on and on and on. This brother and their family and this brother and his family. And there's even a brother and he didn't have any sons. It was just his daughters. That's a special one. I forgot which verse it was, but read it later. And then this person who's in charge of half of Jerusalem and this person, they were big people. They were small people. And they all came back to build the house of God together. You know, at first, Sanballat, the people who were occupying the territory, they didn't think it could happen. They saw this, you know, even if a fox jumped on that wall, it just collapsed. You know, what are these guys? And then they saw, you know what, something's happening here. And then they said, you know what, we're going to go kill them. I'm not joking. You can read it. Those are the ex- almost exact words. We're going to kill them. What happened? The people got scared. And so what did Nehemiah do? He basically assigned some people to guard. They were given swords. And they had to carry the swords all the time while other people built. And the people who built, they had to put their sword on their side and they would build. So they had sword on their side and they built. And behind them to guard them was a guy with a sword. So that if any enemy came, their backs were protected. They could build and someone would guard them. And I imagine they would switch. And they stood together to build the house of God. Why in your heart is there the life of the servant king? Is it just so you can get through every day? That's very important to him. Don't get me wrong. He wants for you guys to grow up together. But he also wants for you guys to serve each other for it to be so contagious. And he wants for this house to be built. The house of God. Because Brother Kong likes to say it this way. If you opened up the heart of God the Father, you would see occupying all of his space would be his only son, Jesus. If you opened up the heart of the Lord Jesus, Occupying all of its space would be his church. He has given us a life of service that we can stand together, stand and serve. That's what in Psalm 135, what do they say about the priests? They stand and serve. And so you guys would stand together to serve in the house of God and build the house of God so that the Lord Jesus, his heart would be filled up. Brothers and sisters, this is a wonderful purpose. He entrusted a life to you, the life of a servant. And his goal is that we would serve. We would serve him and we would serve one another. And this house will be built. I will tell you, um, many of the older brothers and sisters in this conference at the end, we have this little uh, meeting where we all get together. And, you know, they talk about how did, you know, Brother Kong's messages go and how did the workshops go. But you know what everyone cares the most about? They always ask me, how did the high school and junior high go? You know why? Because they love you. And they know that they want a generation to rise up that will love him. Love one another, serve each other, serve the Lord, and build the house of God. So, brothers and sisters, what has been entrusted to you? In the book of Mark, we find the Lord Jesus, his servant's heart, that has been entrusted to you.
and has been entrusted to me. When that deposit was made in you, let it grow. If you see the opportunity to let the Lord serve you, let him serve you. If you've fallen, call out to him. And when he lifts you up, and he lifts you up, and he lifts you up, and then one day you can see your brother who fell in the same way, and you go over to them, put your arm around him, lift him up. It is our calling, and it is our life. So, let's pray. Lord, I thank you because I know that in your heart of hearts, you know every one of these brothers and sisters of mine in this room. Lord, you have seen them from when they were little. And Lord, you've known all the hurdles of life that they have traveled through. And I know, Lord, that you love them and that you will lift them up when they fall. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them a closeness to you. And as time passes, they would lift one another and they would be a blessing to your heart. Lord, we thank you. We worship the servant king. And there's no one on earth who is like you. Lord, thank you that you, have, you made yourself lower than angels. And you were born in a little manger. And you grew up in a life of difficulty. And you served everyone whom you met. So, Lord, we worship you. There's no one who's like you. And we give you all the praise. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, a couple of announcements. Um, Tomorrow morning, we are still going to have uh, morning devotion here at 7 a.m. And uh, we're going to have discussion tomorrow afternoon. Uh, They're still going to our brothers are going to raise those little uh, placard things and just go to your right color. 